orchard up on Salmon Creek goes fallow. Oh no. An orphan riding horseback comes to town. We don't know yet. It's a nightmare. But that's about to be made quite clear. The air takes on the smell. What's that on Hooper's Hill? Looking down at Lulu. It's like he's been floating in outer space, and his muscles have melted. His tongue is sandpaper. He's sweated through the mattress. He's back to life with a gasp. The trailer, on the windy side of the south end of the valley. A string of spittle from the mouth of Tamara Tillman on the bed beside him. The flapping of her soft palate. He nudges her. Twice. Nothing. The boy is curled up under a beach towel on the futon. He's outgrown his old sleeping place, so his feet dangle off the armrest, scratching at the door. The house cat Mookie is not supposed to be outside. He finds the fridge and the pantry are bare. The birds don't sing. The truck doesn't start. Brownie double knots his boots. He goes out on foot for sustenance. Brownie. It's Monday morning. Must have tied one off pretty good the night before because my brain's all... So... Go down to the diner. Try to get me some hillbilly food. Uh, that's what I call biscuits and gravy to soak it up. And the whole walk down, there's... Uh, stinky, man. Just stinky outside. Smells bad. Bad smell, like uh, batteries or chemicals or... um, Well, you know, stinky. And it's like the rapture happened. And I was the only bad guy or... Everybody's catching up on their beauty sleep or something. Until I go up to the diner and it's, it's crazy. It's the most full I've ever seen it. And anybody I know, I mean, these guys all looking the exact same. Like construction foremans or what is it? You know, plaid shirts, hard hats. Not one of them saying a word. Just chewing on waffles chewing in time like a music rhythm chewing all on waffles and that creeps me and it sounds gross so I kind of back out of the room like never mind they all look at me and they just wait for me to go and there is not one single car in the parking lot okay 
So now my stomach's going crazy and downtown's like a ghost town, like zero people. Now I got the heebie-jeebies all bad and I'm about to chalk it up to a loss, go be hungry back home. I run into Mike from the hardware store. He looks like he had too much cough syrup. I say, Mike, do you have too much cough syrup or what? I say, Mike, where is everybody? He says, I don't remember. I say, you smell that? He say, smell bad, like chemicals or battery. I say, you on your way to open up? He said, yes, so. So I walk up with Mike, and we round the corner off Pine on Avenue C, and we look up on Hooper's Hill, and we're like, whoa. What the hell that is? I say, Mike, what the hell that is? He say, I don't know. I say, you ever see that before? He say, no. I say, hey, Mike, how often are you downtown? He say, every day, Brownie, every damn day. And I point to that thing on the hill, and I say, that new? And he goes, brand spanking. It's like a prison, you know, or, or a big church, or, or a tower. Kind of like a castle uh, with a factory and a, a power plant. Look, it wasn't small, all right? Big, tall things on it and the biggest wall I ever heard of. And me and Mike, well, we don't think that thing was there even one day ago. I have what I consider a superpower. Only 26 others are said to have possessed it, claims of varying veracities. Some credible and well-supported, which I believe. Others outlandish, like the ramblings of one trapped between a Grimm's fairy tale and a sci-fi dystopia. These sound more like speculative fiction than my own experience. So I estimate more like 15 others share my superpower. I should say what it is. For reasons my limited science can't explain, I am able to see through very persistent illusions. The kind disseminated from Hooper's Hill, in my mountain hometown when I was a kid, and four other locations I've had the disturbing fortune to witness firsthand in my life's work. There's a spell I don't go under. My sleeper cell is comprised almost entirely of those who share my superpower. Maryland Blue, Manatee, my invisible friends. On Easter Sunday, the trouble arrived in Lulu. If you were to drive through without knowing what you were looking for, you would almost miss that something had gone sideways. Some slept through the day entirely. Eric Carnes meandered around his front lawn in his house slippers for hours. He has no recollection of this. Sally Langerhands drove to town, clipped her side-view mirror on the mailbox, turning onto the main road. Downtown was cordoned off for the parade, but Sally drove through the barriers. She made a big loop around the western ridge and returned home to where her husband Rick slept on the kitchen floor. She remembers none of this. Sergeant O'Connell suited up for work. She made and poured eight individual cups of coffee. 
setting them side by side on the counter. She said something to Carl about the weather, but it came out just... weather we're having. Carl sat in the lazy boy staring at the floor. He simply repeated, weather we're having. When consciousness returns, the confusion is often attended with a rage from deep down. A reaction that demands explanations and the fingering of somebody to hold accountable for nobody's sure what absolutely maddening. Sergeant O'Connell directs her finger up the chain of influence. The mayor must have answers, no? Sergeant O'Connell is wary of the recently elected mayor. Mayor Minor is ambitious in the bad way, and he is behaving like a like a very, very suspicious mayor. Tamara Tillman spent Saturday nursing Friday's hangover. Sunday, she succumbed to the collective delirium, rising from bed periodically to knock on her own front door. She knocked from the inside, from the living room, calling out the name of a friend she hasn't seen in several years. Wava, Wava Bauer, Wava Bauer, it's me, I know you're in there. She remembers none of this. On Monday, Tamara Tillman would have celebrated a rare two days sober, had she known the second day had passed at all. From her hiding place in the junkyard, where her son doesn't know to look, smoking a doobie inside the belly of a defunct cement mixer, Tamara Tillman. Everybody's been, like, married once, but now they're married to the other one. I used to live on this side of the street. Now I actually live on this side of the street. Like, swing your partner. do si do So, like, I look at Marianne O'Connell and Bobby Trout, and they, like, they were the bells of the balls. Like, they deserve something. Like, thanks. I'm a doctor now. Now I'm the law around here. Bang, bang. Do I sound bitter? See, I got a bad wreck. Spring of 09 on the 97. Broken back. Ruined my legs. Bit clean through my lip. Start down a long road to so-called recovery. So I needed help. And I know I'm not like one of the gals or whatever, but I really needed O'Connell to be a good cop and Trout to be a good doctor. And they weren't. Get run down for what they're trying to tell me is a painkiller problem? I say, yes, I do have a painkiller problem. I need painkillers. Have you ever been in pain like this? Have you ever tried to raise a family in this kind of pain? They don't even have kids. And Trout looks in her, like, little book. And she does blah, blah, run around. And I just got the sense that she loves this. Loves seeing me like this, just like then, just like always. Love seeing my son lose his eyeball. Because I'm not in some stupid club. So... I'll be considering other channels. I guess that's what it's come down to. Get me taken care of once and for all. Yeah, me and my man are working on all that as we speak. 
Whether anything happens for a reason is above my pay grade, but I can't afford to chalk anything up to coincidence. Today, a young nomad, simply called Joe, rides into Lulu on horseback. It's clear in the way he's regarded that he's been here before. But why today? Why now? I'd be remiss not to wonder if Joe is called to Lulu in a way I've also been called to vulnerable places. I'll keep a close eye on the orphan nomad, Joe. Ah, uh, yeah, I had a rough year since last time I came through. Uh, been spotty. Uh, I lost my Aunt Rika up in Alaska New Year's Day. That's no good. She passed away in a plane crash, flying herself back from some party in Juneau all late. She's a bush pilot. She lives in uh, what's like practically a little lean-to up there in the middle of nowhere, and... Uh, I go up to figure out the will, and uh, I get to pick up some hours in the kitchen at the outpost meanwhile, and I, I don't put up any kind of fight about the money or any of it, you know, say just give it all to my cousin, who's her daughter, ask me, what about you? And I, uh, I say, more of what I do, you know. So I just go back to where I was, you know, go finish up with Mr. Alfiki in Oregon at uh, Alfiki's Alfalfa. <laughs> well, uh... Alfiki, he gets a bad case of what's called Lepidoptera, just like a, it's a fancy word for moss and butterflies and what come eat your crop. And he sees a weevil one morning and he tell me, Joe, we gotta circle the wagons, get this stuff out while there's still stuff to get. It's risky. Do an early harvest, spring instead of summer, and try to save what we can, but Mr. Alfiki's stubborn. Say, we take it out now, we don't gotta use insecticides, but but then the reality of it starts setting in, looking at the numbers, and, and he panicked or get greedy or desperate and asked me to stick around and do a second harvest. And, and I say, we don't got time for that. And he say, I, I make it worth your time. Like, this guy going to buy me with money like I'm wanted or he have it. I say, I say, Mr. Alfiki, I feel for you, but I think second harvest is a bad idea. But, but most of all, I can't sit around here till fall and wait for grass to grow. And he say, I heard you. And he takes me out to the stable, pay a visit to this new filly born New Year's Day, and, and he says that's the best day a horse be born raising up wise. Like with the alfalfa season, you, you want to hit the cycle, right? You know, even let me name her, name her Autism Awareness. It's a pretty funny name for a horse, and, and Rico always said to take care of people who are different. I get Alfiki's tug of my heartstrings, you know. I start to go, though, like, well, one way or another, Alfiki's doing a second harvest. And I really wanted that horse. So I say, okay, I'll do it, and you, you know, if you let me spread out a little meanwhile. And he offered me a room in the house, and I say, nah, tense my speed. Cannot stand to be root-bound. So I just stay through the summer, work with my new girl, yeah, and he tossed me an odd job every few days and eat dinner with the missus and the girls and and fall come around and I can just feel my guts turn over. We really gotta not do this. You know, it's talk about some dig your own grave material. I mean the risk you run, you do it too late, won't grow back enough to survive the winter and for what? I mean talk about two half crops this year for maybe none next. No way. Not my farm. 
So I, I'm afraid this summer I'm, I won't get a chance to be helpful to Alfiki and the girls. I, I, just, I didn't have it in me, you know, stick it out through the freezing frost, see what they about to go through. No way. Yeah, so, so I ride up back to Lulu. And God, I mean, it's just pins and needles more than usual. And a strange smell and people are acting funny. And uh, I come to talk to Angus and he talks about the wolves and talk about work and uh, he talk about how he in a mood to rip the orchard out and uh, anyway until then I'm here under the canopy me and my girl you know just being lookouts and uh, anytime I sneeze or leave a footprint somebody's gotta call the cops <sighs> some things never change house cats in Lulu, I keep hearing about house cats. I consider the relationship between house cats and wild wolves. Brownie's beloved Mookie is not supposed to be outside. Is it a lead? No. Yes, I don't know. Janet Coons has an experience with a house cat. Duncan is saying goodbyes. Giving things away, staring off into space, kind of lost in himself. It's just college. It's just Gonzaga. It's just over there. But the other day I come home from work and Duncan's sitting on the couch. And he has Earl the Pearl Monroe in his lap. That, that's the cat. And he's holding Earl's little legs up so they were nose to nose. But he wasn't playing with them. He wasn't being fun. He was trancing out on him like he was on drugs, staring at him with this deep, creepy intensity. I don't think he even noticed me. So, so I do the thing where I go back out and come in making a racket, announce myself, set all the things down loudly like, I'm home. And he turns to me with this otherworldly, unholy children of the corn look on his face, and he cocks his head like, Hello, mother. Goes right back to the cat. I'm sure he's just sad to say goodbye. He's always loved Earl the Pearl Monroe. When I looked at you just now, you were not the seed of what's to come. You are not the best of what is young You are not fresh air inside my lungs When I looked at you just now You were not the march to holy heights You were like a thousand sleepless nights You were the snow that bends the bow when I looked at you just now When I think of orchardist Angus Jackson, I want to wax philosophical about ancient traditions of agriculture, hardy spirits, and humble pride. That's ridiculous. Not because it isn't true. Maybe it is. But because I don't know anything about it. 
I know nothing about the grizzled old man smoking the pipe indoors. I know nothing about orchardist Angus Jackson. I know two things about wolves. They howl and they kill you. O'Connell came around to talk about it. Where's everybody else? So I post on the community board. We have wolves. Call for an emergency meeting. Keep hearing rumors about a town hall, what keeps getting canceled or pushed back. I'm done waiting for the mayor. Jack says we can just do it up at his barbershop. I say, fine, let's go. I do my research, get my facts and numbers, go to the barbershop, and guess who's there? Just Jack. Hands me a key, says, lock it up when you're done. And I sit alone in the tall chair, surrounded by the hair clippings of all the people who are supposed to be there. Sit there a good hour past meeting time. Eventually, O'Connell comes in. I tell her I don't want what happened to her chickens to happen again. My chickens, my cows, my goats, my pigs. She ushers me out the barbershop. Now what? Well, just this week, the little no-man guy, Joe, comes into town. Big stink when Joe shows up. And Joe knocks on my door, asks for a little work and a place to pitch his tent. I think about how mad that's going to make everybody. How I'm going to say, if we could work together, I wouldn't need to hire Joe. So I say, you know what, Joe? I do have work for you. Point him out to the orchard, out front of the barn. Go be my lookout. Guard the barn from the wolves. Wait till things get bad enough. People decide they care. Harsh's meadows Green Meadows Cemetery awaits the dead. So this is Lilith. Thank mm-hmm. you.